The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Best-selling author Ted Decker shares how his passion for exploring truth through mind-bending stories began by being born to missionary parents in Indonesia. My entire life has been a search for my, my origin, a search for who I am, my identity, and what is the nature of reality, and what, what is this thing called Christianity, and what, who is God and my father, and these are all questions that were just baked into me when I was very young. today. I'm glad you're here because, Sheila, you know how excited I am about this show, I right? know. You've been rabbiting on about it all day. I know. It's true because I, I love fiction. Uh, I love I love some of the darker stories, actually. I'll just confess that up front. Does it surprise you? Does it surprise you? But <laughs> <laughs> even more than the books and the fiction, which I get really excited about in case you can't tell, I have met the author that we have on tonight, and he is Fascinating, and I am thrilled. So, would you please join me in welcoming Ted Decker? Thank you. Thank you. Was that too much for you? Did that make you uncomfortable? It's okay. It's okay. okay. Well, I'm going to go on some more, so just sit there and listen. <laughs> so, The 49th Mystic is uh, a fiction book. It's part of the Beyond the Circle series. And uh, let me tell you, if you are into fiction, f fantasy, thriller, suspense, that kind of stuff, you're going to love this. If you know someone that's into it, they're going to love it because I love it. And I don't just say that, I'm a harsh critic. His other book, his second book in the trilogy, Rise of the Mystics, is out as well. And so, <sighs> wonderful fiction, but even more wonderful man. So, Ted, let's talk to you. Let's talk about... Let's not get into so much of the plot because I don't want to ruin it for anybody because I hate when people spoil stuff for me. Yeah. But beyond a great story, dude, you are laying out some seriously heavy truth on us right out of Scripture. What in the world is going on? Well, Randy, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> now, actually, I would say everything I've written... As, as a writer, I, I explore truth in my own life and the nature of reality through story because we live in stories. We live in the story of our lives. <clears throat> and it, it all culminates for me really in the 49th Mystic. It, and it's about, I, I, I can set it up. Like I'm not gonna ruin any plot okay, for anybody, okay, but it's about, okay. it represents all of our lives. There's a, a blind girl, a girl born blind, like all of us in one sense, we're all born blind <clears throat> to the truth of who we are. And um, her objective <clears throat> is to find a way to, to see. I mean, her father's been trying to get her to, you know, to find, find some kind of cure. Well, one night she goes into a coma through a series of events. She ends up in a coma, and she wakes up in another reality. And in that reality, she can see. And in that reality, she learns that she's the 49th mystic. And her objective is to find the five seals of truth before the realm of mystics can be destroyed. So it's a massive quest story that covers two full novels, yeah? And her objective, she, she's a Christian. She, she grew up just like all of us. I mean, she represents us. She represents me, my journey from blindness to sight, okay? 
And so she goes on this quest for these five seals. And the problem is she has enemies, right? They're trying to stop her. They'll do anything to keep her from finding these five seals of truth that will ultimately lead to her complete liberation from blindness to sight, right? From fear to love, mm. yeah, from darkness to light. It's a journey that we all go on. My entire life has been a search for my, my origin, a search for who I am, my identity, and what is the nature of reality, and what, what is this thing called Christianity, and what, who is God and my father, and these are all questions that were just baked into me when I was very young. Well, you have a really interesting start in life, though. Um, you weren't, like, born in Idaho. Um, tell us a little bit Idaho about... Idaho would have been strange, yeah. <laughs> we for love you, you Idaho. For you. But you were born, tell us about, I mean, your ah. mom and dad were missionaries, right? Yep, they were born, I was born in the jungles of Indonesia and uh, amongst cannibals who killed and ate my parents' co-workers when I was six. Oh, jeez. And, uh, but you know, that didn't affect me so much because I, I, I was born there. You know, this is what people did back there. What affected me more was they sent me away to a boarding school when I was six years old and I felt estranged from my, I felt really abandoned mm. by my parents and I didn't, I cried myself to sleep every single night for months and months and months. So it was very traumatic for me. Did they do that to, to get you out of the dangerous situation? No, or for education? Just what everybody did. Just it, the way it was. This is what Cultural. the church taught them was the good thing to do okay. to serve yeah. Jesus, basically. Okay. So do you think all of that hurt and wondering who you are, a white face in a different place and then in boarding school, is that how you work out your own journey through your writing? Absolutely. I mean, that was such a gift to me because I, I, I recognize now that I, I began a quest at age six to find my father. You know, Jesus said, call no man on earth father for your father in he is in heaven. Hmm. He said, who is my mother when they brought Mary to him? These are my mother. Hmm. So in a real way, I can only say this now 30, 40 years later, you know, it's much easier in retrospect, yeah. in hindsight. Yeah. Um, but it's like, oh, that was a gift. It was almost like I was born into a situation that was very difficult for me, almost like through some kind of agreement so that I could go on this quest to find my father. Can I, can I tell you another <laughs> tell story? Any you can story tell stories as long as you want. I got okay, all okay. Let, me, let me tell you this story. Um, this is a story of Jesus. He didn't tell the story, but it's the story of Jesus. That is my favorite. Um, he's walking along the road, right, with his disciples. And they come across this blind man who was born blind. And this is you know, amazing to the disciples because it's one thing for someone to be blind, but to be born blind. So they say, Master, whose sin was it that caused this man to be born blind? Was it his sin or his father's sin? In other words, is it his fault that he was born blind? His fault from, I guess, something before he was born? Or was it his father's sin? And his, Jesus said, neither. He was born blind so that he might, that the, the glory of God or the work of God might be made visible inside of him. You see, and then he said, we must all do this work while it is day, meaning in mystic speak, we must all do this work during this life hmm. because night is coming, death is coming mm -hmm. when no man can work. It's almost like we are all born into this world through, in some kind of situation, like that blind man not out of punishment, not because of some fault of a previous life or previous experience or, or fathers or all the way even back to Adam, not his father's sin, but rather a willful act to come into this life, in that case born physically blind so that he might discover the light within him. Mm. 
This is what Jesus taught. Mm-hmm. And he says we must all do this. And then he, and then he goes and he takes dust. Remember? This is all John, John 9. You can read it. And he makes his mud and he goes, look, and he, and he symbolically blinds the man by the earth. You come into this world, you're blinded to the light within. Mm. This world blinds you to who you are and have always been. But, he says, go down to the pool of Siloam and wash. And he washes. Water is always the Holy Spirit, a symbolic, you know. Mm-hmm. And he comes out seeing. This is the life we all lead. I was born into this world almost, you know, my father knew, my heavenly father knew Maybe I, had, I was part of that choice. I don't know. But the point is I came in and I was going to be the son of missionaries. And I was going to be abandoned at a young age, go through t- terrible heart-wrenching situation that would ultimately lead me to a place where I would begin looking for my true father. You follow? Mm-hmm. It reframes mm-hmm. suffering, doesn't it? It reframes suffering and my identity because mm-hmm. now I'm looking for who? My identity as the son of who? Not my earthly father, but my, my, tr- my, my true mm-hmm. father. Mm-hmm. And so that is, to answer your question, everything that happened in my childhood was a beautiful, beautiful gift. I mean, so many of your audience right now, they're in difficult situations. What if you could look at every one of those situations as an invitation to discover the true beauty of who you are as the light of the world inside of you by letting go of your attachments mm-hmm. to the identity you have in this world outside of you? You ever wonder why the disciples were looking for someone to blame? Because that's our nature, right? We all think it's someone's fault. Right? It's almost like Jesus is like, you're missing the point entirely. You know, we're we're either caught up in legalism or looking for the the blame, and yet God's going, no, it's also my glory can be revealed in you. Exactly. It's not about punishment. In that day and age, they assumed, everyone taught, if someone was born blind, if you were born blind, people would spit on you because they they assumed it was your sin. It's kind of like, the caste system in India, a karmic system, mm-hmm. you know, karma. Bad right. karma leads to punishment. Christians are very karmic too. We believe you'll get punishment if you do certain things. Yeah. I mean, that's what Christians believe too. Yeah. Religion tends to be that way in general. Jesus was saying, no, he was born blind. You were bl- born in this body. You were born in this body. You were put in a wheelchair. You, you probably agreed to it. I mean, I don't know, I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is, I'm a storytelling, I'm assuming, okay, what if, I know I was born as a missionary kid so that I could discover the light within me, that I might be made visible inside of me. It's not mm-hmm. so he, Jesus could prove himself through some kind of miracle. No, no, we're all born blind so that we might see the light. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you about something you said. What, what this telling the story of the blind man, you said it wasn't something he did or did in a previous life. We're not talking reincarnation here, no. are we? No, but that Good. may have been sort of the, the, the question, the, the presumption, no. the presumption yeah. of the people at the time. I know, I just want, I know that our audience will I'll just be writing me wee, wee letters. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Save no, your yeah, postage yeah. stamp. <laughs> no, we're not talking reincarnation. I mean, Jesus, you know, that was just what he said. Back then, they did believe in reincarnation. And he's just, so re, that's not even the point at all. The point right. is, why was I born into this situation? Why was I a missionary kid? And in the case of the 49th mystic, it, again, it's the same journey. It's somebody, a girl who was literally born blind. Right. And ultimately, through the quest, this, this entire quest that she goes through, through incredible adventure and danger and, and also love and romance, too. And we must not forget the romance. <laughs> And, and through the, this entire thing, though, it, she, she comes to the end of herself to discover her true beauty, the light inside of her, the kingdom of heaven that is within you, the way Jesus taught. Mm-hmm. Could you say she almost had to put down everything she had 
to discover who she really was. And I've watched some of your videos online on your 49th Mystic website, and you talk about that in your own life. You came to a place where you felt the Holy Spirit say, lay it all down. Yeah. You know, letting go of this life, letting go of the things that have hurt us in the past, and the, or even the great aspirations we had, we have to become something. You know, in this culture, there's a massive pressure for women to look a certain way, for um, you know, for men to succeed by proving themselves. You know, as I don't know, either athletes, business, as some form of success that gives us status. And letting go of that is very difficult. And we, we, it's a very complex kind of web we weave as children. By the time we're adults, we're, we're not even sure what it is that's oppressing us and why we're so anxious for tomorrow. But we have to find a way to let go of everything. Just like, and you can't, the, the carnal nature can't do that. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit, ultimately, that you can, that you're led almost into the place where you surrender and you break. Can I tell you another story? Yeah. Go on. Yeah, you can. And will you, are you going to talk about how fear plays a role in all that? What I, about I, the forgiveness thing? I was kind of hoping he'd go there. Okay, well, well, let's do forgiveness and then fear. Okay. We're going to end on fear. Okay. Um, I'm going to tell a story of, of letting go because this has to do with fear too, okay? Because really the whole story is about love and fear. You, you think of it this way. There's like two forces in the world. There's like, we think of it as God and Satan. Now, let's put it in terms of something that we can actually feel, and that is love and fear, mm -hmm. grievance and forgiveness, mm -hmm. light and darkness, sight and blindness. I mean, these are different ways of talking about the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so I wrote a book a few years ago on forgiveness um, called The Water Walker, and we decided to interview one of my fans rather than, you know, rather than me being interviewed, I was going to interview a fan. So we put our name, we have like 5,000 people put their names in this bucket, like in, in like 48 hours, we just picked one. Random, that's the point, totally random. I got on the phone, she, she was an Assembly of God pastor, mm -hmm. okay? And as soon as I got on the phone with her, she said, I gotta tell you my story before we go any further. I gotta tell you my story. I'm, I'm a pastor, but I've always struggled with weight. And my, my weight went from one, 150 to 200, 200 to 250. And I tried every diet in the book and I tried to get under control, 250 to 300, 300, 350, 400. When I was at 450 pounds, I knew that if I didn't do something, I was gonna die. Hmm. And one day I was walking in my room and I was crying out to God, you know, and here I am, 450 pounds. And then I heard this voice that said, you are wearing your grievance. Wow. And I knew exactly what the Holy Spirit was saying and, and I immediately recoiled. He said, you are wearing your grievance. And she says, I knew what he was talking about. So I put it away and for six months, I refused to even think about it. And then six months later, I was getting heavier and heavier. And so again, I was submitted and I surrendered. And again, the sweet Holy Spirit, you are wearing your grievance. She said, Ted, when I was a young woman, grade school, I was raped mm. by three boys. Mm. And she said, I knew that's what this was about, but I'd been through therapy, I'd been through everything. I had forgiven them, I had forgiven them. How dare the Holy Spirit suggest that I was still wearing the grievance. And suddenly in that moment, she was caught up in a vision and she was back in that same situation. Like she was there and she was being abused. Mm. And she was terrified, right? Suddenly Jesus was standing there with her and he was, only he was looking at the boys with compassion Mm. And then looking at her with as much compassion. And she, this made her even angrier because how could dare you could look at them with love and compassion in that way. 
and she was, she began to scream at him, no, no, no. And he looked at her and he said, don't you know, I have absolved them. I have forgiven them. And immediately when he said that, he, Jesus gave her his heart for those boys. And she immediately, it went from grievance and horror to just love, agape, divine love that holds no record of wrong, in which there is no fear. And she said, I just had complete, I saw the boys, they had been abused. They had, as like this whole series of events that are actually the products of their own kind of backgrounds. And they're in this place and I just forgave them completely. For the first time I understood forgiveness is not absolving somebody, but actually recognizing that they're, they never really harmed you in the first place. You only perceived it as a harm. It's a whole different way of looking at forgiveness. And she said, and then I snapped out of it. She, she said, Ted, the weight began to fall off me. Within one year, I was, she said, now I'm 125 pounds. Oh my gosh. How do, how do you reconcile that? I, I, I hear you, but how do you reconcile that with the fact that they did do harm to her? It, 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 it's one thing to hold no record over wrong. It's, yeah. it's another thing to deny that wrong was ever done. So let's talk about fear and love. Okay. Now, we're all on a journey right now. So this is a discussion that we're having, yes, about what love is and what fear is. We know that I don't think we've awakened to love. We're only beginning to awaken to love. And I, there's different kinds of love. There's, right, phileo, eros, phileo, and agape. The perfect love. Perfect love. But perfect love is divine love. Mm. Love, that is the love that will evidence those who are following Jesus, or those who have been born again, as Jesus put it. Mm -hmm. They will begin to see and experience the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the light of love in which it holds no record of wrong. It's impossible, Randy, for you and I. We will always take offense at someone who has offended us or threatened us or our, our honor. Mm. We want to be honored. We want to be protected. We want to protect our bodies. And not, not even for ourselves, but, you know, if someone were for, to do something to a loved one of mine, as in the case of your story. Yeah, well... Right? I, but what if we're seeing through the eyes of grievance and fear? What if we're not seeing, what if through the eyes of Christ, whether when the storms rise, I mean, think, think of those offenses like storm clouds, a storm. And when the disciples went out into the, into the sea and the storm rose, Jesus was sleeping in the bottom of the boat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When they woke him, they, they said, master, save us. He said, his question to them echoes down through history. And so why are you afraid? What do you mean, why am I afraid? Don't you see my friends attacking me? Yeah. Don't you see this storm called cancer? Yeah. Don't, don't you, you see, see what I, I see? Don't you see what I see, which is all the dark clouds? Yes. And Jesus says, why are you afraid? Obviously, what he's seeing or what we're seeing are two different things. Mm. What if we could awaken to the, a love that holds no record of wrong, the love in which there is no fear for tomorrow or for today, mm. and, and, and give people permission to step into that love themselves? That would do what? change the world completely. But unless we ourselves awaken to that love, mm -hmm. we will never actually lead anybody. I mean, like, who are we leading people to? Mm -hmm. This was Jesus' teaching. Mm -hmm. Father, forgive them. They don't, they don't know what they do. Yeah. yeah. On the cross, he did say that, forgive them for they know not what they do, meaning forgive them by reason of insanity. <laughs> yeah. In yeah. today's legal system, right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and I think of that scripture too, there is no fear in love. Um, perfect love casts, casts out, out fear. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that we have this unique privilege of doing here at Life, and it's one of my favorite things, is that we get to, to make an impact on the lives of people that 
we might not even meet here on this earth, but, but God hears their cry. And because God hears their cry, we hear their cry. And we have this passionate commitment this year to put water wells in villages where children are literally dying because they can't reach out for a glass of clean water. But you and I are on this earth at this moment, and it's not a mistake. We're here for a purpose. And I wanna show you how we can make huge changes in Jesus' name. Would you watch this? When you lose someone you love unexpectedly, it can feel like your whole world is falling apart. It's almost too much to bear. If you know my story, you know I lost my husband in 2001 to a tragic scuba diving accident. I'd give just about anything to go back in time and stop that from happening. And while I know God has never abandoned me, I've learned some memories stay with you for the rest of your life. Recently in East Africa, I got to visit people with some very fresh memories, people who lost loved ones of their own. And in a way, I feel connected to them. My husband died in the water, and her husband died because of water and the lack of good, clean water because the water they need to drink every day in order to live, well, it's killing them. Water that looks like this and this. Water that looks like this. These precious people don't have a choice in the water they drink. Right now, it's this or it's nothing. But you and I have a choice, a life and death choice. Not life and death for us, but for them. So will you please choose to partner with Life Outreach today? Will you help give water for life? So that we can give them water like this. What a difference. Water like this, filthy water, water the animals have been in, or water like this, water that's clean and sparkling and that brings life. I can't tell you what it's like to actually walk those, over those fields in Africa and walk for miles with a mom. You know, I asked this one mom in a village, we, when we go into a village, we ask the chief for permission to camp there for that night. And then in the morning, I got up really early and I said to one of the moms, can I come with you to where you get your water? And we walked for probably a couple of miles with her children and I couldn't believe when we got there and I saw what they were putting in their buckets. It was absolutely filthy. And part of me wanted to stop the children drinking it, but I realized that's all they had. They, they can't drive somewhere and get clean water. This is all they have. But the thing is, you and I are here. We don't think twice about turning on the faucet and getting a glass of water or picking up a bottle of water. It's just second nature. But I think, wouldn't it be amazing if every single one of us, and I don't care if you're, you know, if you're young, you're 14 and you've got an allowance, you could put some of it aside, or maybe you're in a great place in life and you have some discretionary income. If every single one of us decides to do something, we can literally change the world. That's why we're here. Not just to wait till Jesus gets us out of here, but to make a difference and to show the world. In a, to me, when you bring clean water, then you have earned the right to tell them about the living water. And we have this 
amazing opportunity right now, Randy. Would you tell them exactly how we can do that? Absolutely. You know, the clean water you saw at the end of that with Tammy was made possible by viewers just like you. People who said, yeah, I want to give 10 people clean water for the rest of their lives for $48. Or I want to give 30 people clean water for $144. Whatever you can do. The average well cost $4,800 to drill. And this year we're working in over 15 nations. Our goal for the first half of the year is 200 wells. And God willing, with your help, we'll do even more. I'm asking you to go to the phones or go online right now and join us. Join us in giving people clean water for a lifetime. You can impact lives. You can demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can reach out around the world and give people water for life. When you do that, and I pray you'll do it today, do it right now, We've got some wonderful gifts we'd like to give you just to help you grow in your spiritual journey and just remind you that you are part of something great. You are a part of reaching out and saving lives through the Water for Life program. So please, do what you can. No gift is too large. No gift is too small. Be a part of Water for Life today. Today, a mother living in extreme poverty will do the unthinkable. Give her children dirty, disease-filled water that she knows could kill them. With no other choice, what's a mother to do? With your help, clean water is on the way. Mission Water for Life provides a way for parents to save the lives of their children, to offer them a bright future free from the fear of death. With your gift today, you can help drill and establish the first 200 water wells of the year. Your gift of $24 will help provide clean water for five children. A gift of $48 will help provide for 10, $72 will provide for 15, and $144 will help provide life-giving water for 30 people for a lifetime. With your gift, we'll send you the Praying Grace 55-Day Devotional. This new devotional will help you renew your mind to the realities of God's grace and help you pray powerful grace-based prayers for each day. With your gift of $100 or more, request the Praying Grace Tumbler this reusable 16-ounce container is constructed with insulated stainless steel, perfect for hot or cold beverages. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,200 to help provide water for 250 people, or a gift of $4,800 to help sponsor a complete well, and you may request the beautiful new commemorative bronze sculpture, Safe in the Shepherd's Arms. Please call, write, or make your gift online. I do hope you will join us. You really can make a difference. And I got to tell you, <laughs> you start to wrap your mind around a little bit of what Ted's writing about in these books. It'll make a difference in your life. Ted, love you, man. Appreciate you. Do you appreciate this guy being here? Thanks so much. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So thanks so much for being with Randy and I, and we will see you next time on Life Today. Bye.
If you are in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, come be a part of the Life Today studio audience. Go to lifetoday.org forward slash tickets, lifetoday.org forward slash tickets. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.